Hey there, welcome to XR Industry Leaders with ArborXR. My name is Brad Scoggin, and I am the CEO and one of three co-founders of ArborXR. We've had the opportunity of working with thousands of companies since 2016. And we've learned a ton about what it takes for XR to be successful in your organization. And I'm Will Stackable, co-founder and CMO. This podcast is all about interviewing the leaders who are on the ground making XR happen today. True pioneers in the space, from Amazon, Walmart, and UPS, to Coke, Pfizer, and beyond to uncover the pitfalls, lessons learned, and secrets that you can use to help grow XR in your organization. Scott, you know, I was just thinking, I think you're one of the first or or a few people in this day and age that I either met or saw in person before over Zoom. But we're uh, we're pumped to sit down with you today and get to know a little bit more about your XR journey. It's great to be here. Even if it is digitally, I'm I'm glad uh, we'll get a chance to sit down and talk, Brad. Absolutely. Well, where we always love to start is we want to hear about your personal journey into XR. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a web developer by trade. I started off back in the 90s uh, building websites, working on large websites, um, very large news websites uh, headquartered in Atlanta. Uh, and so I, I started off as a web developer um, and building websites, mobile apps, taking live television uh, broadcasts and pushing them to uh, browsers and then to mobile apps and then to set-top boxes and, you know, connected devices like Roku and and Amazon uh, Fire and that sort of thing. And so um, about six years ago, I got a call into um, an old employer that was running the NBA's uh, digital properties. And they said, hey, we want to take live basketball games and we want to we want to push them to a new platform. Uh, we know you know how to take live broadcasts and push them to to con- that content to users. Uh, we want to we want to start pushing to a virtual reality headsets. And um, I said, you know, who the heck wants to sit in a VR headset and watch a live basketball game? But, um, you know, I was intrigued to find out that somewhere about uh, 40,000 people a night will sit in uh, their living room and watch basketball games in a VR headset. So I started doing VR uh, about six years ago and uh, for the NBA, putting uh, putting games into headsets. And it, I really got jazzed about it because unlike a regular browser or a mobile app, you know, it's so immersive. And so I had the opportunity to uh, move from just VR to go into the full spectrum of XR uh, with my, my day job at, at Westrock. Um, we, people say, you know, what are you doing in XR at Westrock? And I say everything, right? So uh, I got to move from just putting content into virtual reality to now working in AR and VR and 360 and, and, and all the above. And so uh, I found myself now um, specializing in, in the, the extended reality technologies. Very, very interesting. It is. It's. It seems like a lot of people that we talk to, and even actually uh, our own story with XR started on the entertainment side a little bit, you know. And we've now transitioned into enterprise, which, yeah, it's just interesting, right? Like maybe now, you know, enterprise. I think is what's going to carry XR the next the next bit of the the way, and then it may circle back to the consumer space. But um, I think our one another thing our listeners uh, are usually interested in, and and of course us as well. Is for Westrock. What what's the process? You got a company like Westrock; they've been around for a long time. And 
what was their process of beginning to take XR seriously? Was that a long process? What's that been like? Yeah, you know, I mean, so I've been here about three and a half years. It's a great question. It's, um, we're an old manufacturing company. You're exactly right. You know, so we have forestry, paper mills. Uh, we turn paper into cardboard. We call it corrugated, right? Uh, we turn paper into cereal boxes and donut boxes and a lot of the stuff you see on grocery store shelves and in, in fast food packaging. And we also manufacture machinery and retail displays. So we do a lot of stuff around consumer packaging. And um, it's not like the manufacturing industry was, is super big on XR, but a, a very forward-thinking um, vice president there at Westrock um, said, you know, we need to be looking at this. This is where things are going for training, for client, you know, customer engagement. Um, we need to be looking at uh, extended reality technology. So they reached out to me, and and really, when I when I came to work at Westrock, um, I had a, I mean, I still tell people it, it's the coolest job ever, man, because my boss said that same that same VP, he said, go start knocking on doors. We got three hundred factories. Go meet some people, learn the business, take some devices out, start seeing if you can get any uh, kind of awareness and any traction. And so I started off just kind of um, learning about uh, manufacturing. I never worked in manufacturing before uh, and learning about our business and what we produce and and what our factories look like and our mills. And then um, making some friends and uh, putting some devices in factories and then COVID hit. and I no longer had to knock on doors anymore, right? The calls were coming in like crazy. And so uh, we went real quick during COVID from, hey, anybody want to try this cool, you know, VR headset thing I got? You know, it's the future. Uh, We went from that to, um, you know, travel bans. We can't get uh, vendors into our factories. We can't get uh, auditors in from different government regulations. There's a lot of different things there were stopped. And so being able to virtually uh, engage with our factories that were in bubbles, that became the deal, right? And I got real popular real quick and I started working some really long days and nights. And it went from me with my little VR headsets um, to uh, grew to uh, six of us on the team in about a year. So um, we didn't have to really I mean, COVID's a terrible thing. I mean, absolutely, you know, but it's it's been a very good thing for uh, the propulsion of XR and manufacturing because uh, where we were seen before is maybe kind of the, the quirky, goofy folks, you know, in IT that had the weird devices, you know, that everyone's kind of leery of. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, we need your help now. We're trying to keep factories running and it's like, right on, let's do it. So interesting. We've heard that many times and from a nice to have to a, to a must have. Can you talk a little bit about how is Westrock actually using AR VR? I know you, you all are even using 360 video. Can you give us a little bit of a lay of the land of how you're using these immersive technologies? Sure. So I, I, I categorize it like this. Well, we, we, we kind of have four capabilities. Number one is we do what we call factory AR, which is remote expert and guided workflows on the heads and in the hands of factory workers, right? So HoloLens, uh, tablets, realware, keeping machines running through remote expert and guided workflows, right? So that's number one. Number two is we have a, um, 
uh, a pretty large now uh, library of 360 walkthroughs uh, of our facilities um, that we started, you know, we started taking, um, you know, 360 cameras and, and started uh, shooting our factories uh, with, with 360 panos. And um, then it started turning to, well, what if we just do 360 and we start doing some, some hovers or some content for training inside of those 360 experiences, not just walkthroughs, but training uh, and, and quizzes and that kind of stuff. So 360 has really grown as well, still in the factory, but it's not quite um, AR, it's, it's, it's that 360. So that factory AR, 360's blown up for us, it's become huge. We also do some uh, virtual reality training and collaboration, been very limited. Um, coming out of, of uh, the pandemic, we're, we're looking to do more, but it had to kind of take a backseat a little bit to, to maybe AR solutions in our factories. Um, that's the third thing we do. Uh, and a big thing that we do as well, Will, is we do a lot of taking uh, 3D models of our products, consumer packaging, machinery, retail displays, and putting them into AR and VR for design collaboration, design iterations with our customers. And so that's been huge. We've got we're probably at about 60 designers right now that can take uh, uh, traditional designs and put them into AR and VR for design iterations with our customers. And I think we're going to do probably 25 more uh, in Q1 of the next year. So we're doing a kind of a whole lot of different things. Yeah. Uh, I want I've got a question that I want to circle back with the collaborative modeling. That's a significant program. What are you, what's the biggest benefit you're seeing? Is it speeding up the process? Is it just, less errors and, and better, higher fidelity for the customer? To, like, where, where do you see the be biggest benefit? Well, it's tough to just say one, but I'm, I'm going to give you two. Second biggest benefit, right, is that it positions us very well with some of our, our buyers are starting to get younger and younger. Our buyers with some cosmetic brands, because remember, we do a lot of packaging for cosmetics, um, makeup, that sort of thing. A lot of these buyers... Um, they don't want to buy from a hundred-year-old company that comes out with a three-ring binder portfolio, right? They want to they want to interact with a vendor like us in digital means. So that's been a nice benefit. But really, the number one benefit for us uh, is that we've been able to cut down the number of physical prototypes we uh, manufacture in um, in design. So you think about that donut case at a convenience store that you open, take your donuts out, take a bite of, put it in the bag, go up and pay. So we make a lot, like thousands of those glass, metal, and wood uh, displays. And so it takes, if we can take one physical display design iteration out of the, the equation, we just saved ourselves a lot. I mean, you know, sometimes ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in a physical prototype and shipping of that to our customers' facility, uh, and so that pays for like just the removal of one physical prototype per customer pays for the whole program. There, man, it's it's, it's been very very helpful. I want to rewind to something you said earlier. So the VP comes to you and he says, "Scott, go go wild, visit some factories, see if if this technology makes sense." So you've got the green light, but you don't, like you said, there's a lot of momentum in it with a hundred year old company of, of doing things a certain way. So how do you, Scott, go about starting a pilot program and what were some of the challenges you faced early on with getting uh, buy-in or even figuring out what to do with these immersive technologies? Yeah. So I started off specifically just doing a remote expert, right? Let me show you FaceTime on a tablet with annotations. 
All right, let me show you, you know, FaceTime video conferencing in uh, on a head-mounted uh, device, a heads-up display that someone on the other end can draw on your field of view. So let's just take, really, in XR, it's like the simplest thing to do. Remote expert, very valuable. People go all Blows, their, blows people's yeah, minds. This is cool, but it's like, man, it's really, it's like the easiest thing to do. So I just started taking remote expert and going and putting it in place because it brings value. Uh, it's easy. It can be done on a handheld. It doesn't have to be done on a, on a head mount device. And it got me in conversations, building rapport with people, learning the business, finding what uh, Wi-Fi connectivity in our factories is really like. And you can guess what that's really like in the middle of a factory in, in uh, rural Oklahoma. You know, Wi-Fi connectivity is not real, real good. But it got me identifying gaps and, and issues and opportunities, and it got me into some relationships and, and, and having some good conversations. So that's the first thing that I did, and it really just kind of laid that groundwork for me to build on. So I, And I'm glad I did it that way. Believe me, it was an accident if it was done wisely. It was purely an accident on my part, but it worked out well. So was there a point when you felt like the it had kind of caught on organizationally that there was energy and excitement across the board or? You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, COVID, right? It certainly caught on then, but I wouldn't even say, well, like the real test is, has been since travel bans have been lifted in the last year because it's still got that momentum. Uh, people are interested in it because they see the value, not just because they can't get OEM providers into the factory, that's when it's kind of hit that it's caught on that it's this is going to go somewhere or it's here to stay is because when we didn't have to use it, the factories still want to use it. And so then, you know, just really in the last year, I've been like, yeah, this is this is it, man. It's it's not going anywhere because we can have people into our factories. They're not in a bubble anymore. But no, people are seeing the value and they realize that it's uh, uh, it's it brings a lot of, of value to the to the business. Yeah. A couple of follow-ups there, like a two-part that, that's related. Um, where would you say, and like you said, COVID so painful, but for a lot of industries, it's been helpful to accelerate things, right, in, in a big way. Um, in Westrock's journey to scale, if, you know, let's just use scale as kind of this mythical, whatever scale is for Westrock. Yeah, where is Westrock at in that journey? Like at time, you know, are you 50% of the way there? And then the follow-on is, what challenges are you facing today, even with this momentum, even with the COVID kind of acceler accelerant, what challenges are you facing, facing to get to scale? It's a great question. We talk a lot about this, Brad, because um, scale is where I think a lot of companies like us are at. When I talk to uh, you know, buddies of mine, guys that you all know, you know, guys who, who have my job in other large manufacturing companies, um, you know, um, we're all kind of for the last year, we're in the same place. We're all like, okay, well, crap, that's working. We're in 10 factories, 20 factories, but we've got 300, right? It's like, you know, doing what you did to get you to 10 factories is not going to work. That spreadsheet ain't spreadsheet isn't going to be the right mechanism for device tracking when you go to 300, right? Um, device management from memory or from a spreadsheet or a legal pad. It works for 10 plants. It doesn't work for 300, right? So we are really starting to come 
to a point to where we're taking and revising our processes and our tools. Certainly, you know, uh, platforms like like ArborXR are great for taking successful pilots and turn them into solid, scalable um, uh, growth uh, processes. And so we're that's right where we're at is um, how do we now turn around and grow? Because pouring more bodies into doing the same manual processes is not going to get us where we need to go. So we're looking at things differently. We've, we're refortifying our tools, getting better platforms, um, refining our processes. And I think probably to your question, one of the biggest obstacles we face um, is as we start to expand, uh, I just got back from uh, England and the Netherlands, uh, working with some XR champions there because our, our growth strategy, right, is to train others, many XR, many Berkeys, you know, many uh, little um, groups of XR fanatics in the Far East and South America and Europe. And I just got back from Europe and the big issues that we're facing, one of the big issues we're facing is uh, when you get into some of these other markets, there's restrictions around device purchasing or there's restrictions around content, there's GDPR. They got a lot of languages in Europe. We got one language in the United States, right? Well, we got different dialects. We got Southern and Northern and California dialects. But over there, I mean, we've got people working in factories they work right next to each other and they don't speak the same language. And so um, the very issue around scale for us has been is going to be how do we start to deliver things in multicultural, um, multi-ethnic kind of environments uh, where everything's not like Atlanta, Georgia, when you're in Poland or Eastern Europe or South America. And so that's going to be an issue for us. And so multi-language capabilities and and that sort of thing are going to be an issue for us, Brad. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. It's one thing that's been super encouraging to us as we've done so, several of these interviews now is it really does feel like most companies uh, are maybe in a similar situation. That you've gotten to the point where we say, okay, this works. This is great. Okay, now how do we scale it? Uh, which I think should be encouraging for all of us. I think it should also be encouraging that a lot of the companies, like you said, your counterparts at other similar companies, you know, these are you know, old school classic companies that are adopting this new kind of, you know, sexy technology. And so I think that to me, that's a, a really positive thing. When we think about scale and the challenges of scale, obviously for with what we do, we do think a lot about the technology side, the platform side of things, but you bring up an interesting point, which is the people side. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Just even, I mean, language is one thing, but as you're trying to, um, get adoption of this across 300 factories and X number of countries, what's the people side of that look like? You know, the people side, um, I always thought that the technology was going to be tough and I'm pretty good with people, right? People side was going to be a little easier, but in true, you know, Scott Berkey fashion, it's always the opposite of what I think walking in, right? The technology is really not that tough. Uh, the toughest thing for, for me really has been, the people side, and I say that because um, we have a large uh, population, percentage of our population in our factories that are um, that are from my generation, Gen X and older, right? They're baby boomers, they're Gen X, they're people that are in their 50s and 60s, um, and we have a, a, a fair amount of resistance to 
um, taking all this knowledge that they have over years and years and from their perception is we're putting it into uh, we're putting it into a, 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 a leisure device, an entertainment device, right? And it's like you can't take what I know and go put it in a phone, right? I, I'm way way smarter than that. So some of those things, Brad, have been issues for me. And how do we? And I'm writing an article right now. It's interesting you bring that up. I write an article right now on common objections of veteran workers to digital technology and how we have those conversations and kind of try and um, bring them around to, because we need them. We need that knowledge and we need that knowledge into digital formats for our Gen Z workers. But it's, that's a, that's a tough one. And there's no single approach to it. I don't have any magic words I can say when I'm standing in front of a 72 year old guy that's about to retire to get him to speak into the hollow lens for, you know, six hours a day and give us all of his knowledge. Um, I just don't have it. It takes kind of a varied approach and we're trying a lot of different things and trying to work with those veteran workers to, uh, to get, um, to get them on board to help us because Gen Z needs the benefit of their knowledge before they walk out the door to retire tomorrow or next week or next year. And so that's, we spent a lot of time on this, man. It's, it's, um, ask me in a year how it's going, but right now it's, uh, it's a little daunting, um, but I've got faith that we'll we'll get it figured out. I've got good people in my network that we bounce ideas off of. It seems like knowledge transfer is a big topic right now. You're, I mean, you're speaking to it right now. I'm, I'm curious. Do you have any success stories? Even of, I think one question we hear a lot is, uh, you know, will, will will the workers or employees actually use this for training, or will they not enjoy it or not find it helpful? Do you have any success stories where you had maybe initially resistant employees or workers that? Once they tried it, they thought, well, this is huge. This is really helpful. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. We've got, you know, I just um, I just got back from one of our plants in, in England where, you know, sometimes I get the, hey, come on in, man, been waiting for you. Sometimes I get the, you know, we're a little busy, dude. You know, I know you came over here from the, wherever you're from, you know, from the, the south, but, you know, America, you yank, you know, we're not real interested that was one where I went over and within a couple of days, man, I got guys in Holl the Hollands too, and they're doing remote expert calls and walking through stuff. And we shot a 360 and it's like, and it's, it's not so important, Will, that they saw how cool it is, is that they started realizing the value and started calling within days. They started calling our OEM provider saying, hey, Forget text and pictures back and forth. Can you can you look at this machine and draw on it and show me how to make this adjustment, right? So you don't have to travel in here. So a lot of stories like that, a lot of times where factories have been kind of won over, um, not by my, certainly by my charm or good looks, but I mean, I think just by the the, the value proposition of, of what XR brings to the table. Um, and the interesting thing, Will, is that it's, it's a lot of times been... Um, it's been those um, older workers, right? It's been some of those veteran workers that are a little bit hesitant. And when they see a guy like me walk in, I've got a, I got a few years on me as well. We can sit and talk and step into it, um, you know, simply maybe start with the tablet before we go to a head mount device. I think it's, it's interesting to see how, because I knew, I knew guys in their twenties or ladies in their twenties were going to, were going to be down with this, right? Cause they've been on, devices since they were in the crib. Um, some of these guys my age and older, 
that's been great to see. And they uh, they really start to, to pick it up and run with it. And that makes me happy, man. Absolutely. So on the journey to scale, we talked about the technical component, the people component. I want to talk a little bit about the cost element. And you talked about the ROI uh, with the the remote collaboration when it comes to design. And I think it's so tangible. I love to hear by designing in VR, we saved 20 grand, well, you know, whatever it is. We didn't have to mock this up. We didn't have to ship it. So I guess I'd be curious to hear more about that. I mean, are challenges when it comes to getting budget for this? I mean, are, are you seeing enough examples like the one you shared? Are there other examples you could share of, of positive ROI? You know, it's interesting because um, I, ROI is a tough one for, for a couple of reasons. One is because everybody wants to talk about ROI and everyone wants to talk about, well, um, you know, is this gonna is this gonna really help me? And it's like, when's the last time your machine was down? Oh, yesterday. How long was it down for? It's down for seven hours. What's the burden rate of that machine? Thousand dollars an hour. So you lost seven thousand dollars of productivity yesterday because your machine was down. What were you waiting on? Right. Well, we're waiting on the vendor to call us back, right? Or the waiting for the vendor to get our text message a picture of the broken part so they could tell us how to fix it over a phone, right? What if what if I could take this device or put this device on your head. You can get an instant call with them, get it fixed in 10 minutes and save yourselves 90% of that downtime, right? What would that be worth? Well, it'd be worth about, you know, $7,000. Well, guess what? This software is 50 bucks. So it's like the ROI conversations are real simple. Remote expert saves us enough money in downtime, lost productivity to pay for everything else. That's it, right? We save so much money by keeping our machines running using remote expert that if everything else we do in XR is a, a, a net or a loss, it's okay because we've made so much time because keeping machines running is the name of the game for us. So we get to play around with some virtual reality stuff and try some different things in mixed reality kind of on, on, on the company dime because we've saved so much uh, through remote experts. So. ROI is, is tough, again, for a couple reasons. One is because it's just such a no-brainer that if, if we're having to have these conversations, then I don't, think, I don't think I'm doing a good job of explaining or showing these factories why this makes so much money. When I show them, we don't talk about it again. They don't care how much a HoloLens 2 costs. They want five of them, right? Because it makes and saves us so much more money than it costs. It's not even a, an issue. Um, the other thing with 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 the ROI is that um, we still have we're very um, cost conscious and budget conscious in manufacturing. It's a, it's a it's a numbers game and it's a game of pennies and, and quarters of, of cents in, in manufacturing a lot of time in paper manufacturing, you know. Um, so um, you've got to be able to back it up. And I am putting together some thoughts around some of those hard numbers, because some people need a hard numbers, Brad, you're right. And, um, but it's tough to get a hard numbers because nobody wants to give them to you because they're afraid they're going to be held to them or it's proprietary information. So if you've got customers at Arbor that, you know, that are sharing hard numbers around 27% savings by the use of virtual reality for training, I love to see them too, because they don't like putting that stuff out on the street because they don't want their name because <laughs> it, it's, you know, it, Makes it's sense. tough to put yeah. that stuff out, but we talk about it internally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, I think we hear we hear a lot about uh, reduction in training time in some pretty significant ones, which I think is always super encouraging. But what you, sh- I mean, to to me, the litmus test is is leadership willing to keep spending for it, it right? And so they're they're seeing enough value, however you want to measure it or count it, and not just not just use it, but expand it. I mean, you're using it in such a in so many different ways, even more than I think a lot of organizations have one very specific use case they're they're pioneering. You've now you've got multiple fronts open. But I think smart organizations and Westrock's a smart organization. Smart companies get that it's not all quantifiable uh, hard dollar cost savings, right? Remote expert, reducing travel, keeping machines running faster, repaired faster. Those are tangible, quantifiable savings but there's a lot of just soft you know employee satisfaction and the cool factor and recruiting and uh, uh, market differentiation for us with buyers out there or with job candidates there's a lot of things that are tough to put dollar signs to but you know they help you know they add up you know it positions Westrock and other companies in a better place than our competition because we're using uh, technology um, and so it helps, but you can't quantify all of that. But smart companies realize that and see the value, even though they can't put a dollar amount to it just yet. When we started in VR, I guess it was six or seven years ago now, making a positive impact was a was a big focus of ours. And early on, it was just kind of get into the technology. It seems like it's going to be huge. Over time, I think we've realized that the types of use cases we get excited about are when VR is not used for distraction, and entertainment's great, but but when v- VR is used as a tool to give us our time back, so that we have more time to spend with people that we care about, I'm curious, like, what is your personal why? I can tell that you're passionate about XR. What drives you to continue doing this? You know, I have. Um, that's a great question, man. I'll tell you, no one's ever asked me that before, but I, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll tell you, just um, the big reason why I work on this is because. It's not going away. Uh, I have four Gen Z children, ages 14 to 23. And I've got two kids in college, two daughters in college that um, they, don't, they don't have textbooks. They do everything digitally, right? And they're going to come into the workforce soon. One's in aerospace and one's in health sciences. And so the big reason I look at this is I have an opportunity now to be a part of setting up future generations for success with this technology and being kind of a pioneer in this, right? I was early on in, in, in the, you know, website technology back in the 90s, and I'm early on with, with XR and AR and VR for enterprise, and I'm doing it. I mean, it'd be cliche to say I'm doing it for the kids, but I'm doing it because um, somebody's got to pave this path and someone's got to um, propel this and get adoption and drive growth now uh, where we're at in the big scheme of things so so it can be around for you know future generations and for next year and three and five years after this. So because I have a bunch of kids, um, because I like technology, because I want to see them uh, set up for success and you know I, I love it. I only wish that I were younger so I could be around longer to see where this is going to go, man because like, you guys, your kids, your grandkids, they're going to see some crazy stuff, man. And it's like, I wish I could just get a little peek into the future, you know? Love it. 
That's a great. I, I love that answer. I mean, I think we couldn't agree more. Just, it, it, I, we, you know, we'll set it, but I think it, it's so important that there are people involved with this technology that are being thoughtful, that are asking some of the hard questions and not just letting the technology run, but, you know, making sure we're the one that's running the technology. Uh, maybe kind of as we close here, if you were talking to uh, Scott from three years ago and you were going to give him advice coming in to help help start XR at Westrock or a similar company, what what would you tell Scott? What would I tell Scott from three years ago? Yeah. I would, if I could go back and whisper in his ear, in his ear um, I would say, um, get ready because the pandemic's going to hit and you're going to get your butt kicked, <laughs> right? And everyone's going to want to be your friend. No, I would say, um, I would say, hey, um, go in, stay all in, which I'm always all in. But I would just look at that guy three years ago and say, get all in, go to town, um, learn all you can, get passionate, get active, um, build your network, make all the friends you can, and uh, you know, keep the keep your contacts ready, and just just be in action because this industry has taken off, and it's. It's a great one. I get to meet good guys like y'all and others. And it's like, just pour yourself into it. So someone now, I think is where this would go, right, Brad, is what so someone now, what would, what would they need to know? I would just say, you know, get all in, man. It's great. Get you someone who will shoot you straight. You know that I'm big on with my podcast around uh, practitioners helping practitioners. Um, and just get just get a network of people that will risk your anger and tell you when you're full of crap and just tell you what you need to know, not what you want to hear. Build that network and work it and uh, um, just buckle up, man, because it's uh, it's a lot of fun. This is a great industry to be in. It is. And uh, you've got to have um, some persistence. Right. So that, that that's that's really good advice. Um, OK, one hot take. We always ask a hot take. And we, we talked kind of about generations, right? We've got kids, you've got kids. How, how does this technology impact the future? So uh, 10 years from now, we're going to ask another you know, future. You look back, what surprises us about how the, how the next 10 years have, have played out as far as XR is concerned? Yeah, I think um, I'll, give you two crazy, I'll give you two crazy thoughts. One is, is Ready Player One is a little more prophetic than maybe people thought. I think there's going to be some of that, right? If you've seen Ready Player One, I think it's it's maybe sophomore to say so, but I, I think that's a lot of where we're going uh, in the next 10 years. Um, and I also feel like um, uh, in the next 10 years, we're going to see, um, I don't hold anything anymore. Everything is body worn. Everything is on my face, on my body. I don't have anything in my hands anymore. I think, and that's on the consumer side, you know, um, the Jetsons was not far off either, right? Just a little, little hokey, uh, maybe you know, to think about. But I think body worn, uh, implanted technology, I think, is coming, um, and I'm, I'm down with it, man. You know, uh, open me up, put it in. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be great in the next ten years. But I think it's going to be body worn, and I think it's going to be um, a lot of what we call the metaverse is still going to come to fruition. I'm not a big fan of the metaverse, but it's it ain't going away. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, Scott, this is uh, I I just we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. Um, and you have you have your own podcast. So tell us where can people find you? 
Yeah, so right now we're on on YouTube. It's uh, we're called XR at Work, and uh, Dan and I run a podcast. It's from guys who put XR into manufacturing facilities to others who are XR practitioners as well. We take no money. We have no sponsors. We do it all out of on our own time to try and help other people out to to just kind of listen. We got to help each other out in this game, right? You know. So um, uh, XR at Work on YouTube. We're going to Spotify this winter if I can just quit traveling for a little for a couple of weeks and get it all flipped over. So for now, we're on YouTube and LinkedIn. XR at work. Very cool. XR at work. Well, Scott, we appreciate it. I look forward to hopefully seeing you in person again soon. Let's do it. Appreciate Thanks, you Scott. guys. Well, it's always good to sit down with a fellow podcaster. And, you know, Will, something we actually haven't talked a lot about recently is the role that COVID has played in accelerating the adoption of this technology in so many companies. It's true. And I think we expected that COVID would have an initial push for people to, oh, we need to go remote. And it's interesting how it's taken longer than we expected for companies to, for that initial impetus to actually turn into these larger scale deployments. But with Westrock, at least, it's not just one use case for XR. They're, they're using AR and VR in, in, in many different ways and integrating it together at scale. And it's exciting. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and we'll see you next time.